Well, good morning, Mission Church. If you have your Bibles, and I trust that you do, would you please turn with me to the book of 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 4. As I said last week, if you have difficulty finding it, start at the end of your Bible and work backwards. And before you know it, you'll find yourself finding 2 Peter and then running right into 1 Peter chapter 4. There are five chapters in the epistle of 1 Peter. We are parachuting right into chapter 4 this morning. So as you're turning there, allow for me to pray. Father, we need your grace. Father, we've had the privilege to worship you this morning. We've had the privilege already, Lord God, to bring requests before your throne. But now, Lord God, we're coming to you eager, needing uh, your Holy Spirit to teach and instruct us, God. So I would pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would do a work in this room that that work would not be merely existent outside of ourselves, but uniquely uh, this work in this room will be done inside of each and every one of us. Transform our hearts, Lord God, I would pray in Jesus' name. And all of Mission Church said? So we are in our second week of our series called Too Little, Too Late, subtitled Stewarding God's Grace Without Regret. The predominant theme of this series, for those of you who are catching up or those who need to be reminded, is this. Too often in life, we go on believing that we have too little until it's too late. This is indeed a life stewardship series. But I find so often in my life, I find myself feeling like time is short, my resources are lacking, my strengths still need developing. Could God really use me? This series is causing us to lock on to this thought that God has provided everything that we need to fulfill his purposes in our lifetime. God has given you, God has provided me everything that I need to fulfill his will in my life. Do you believe that? Say amen. Amen. If you need a verse, and I hope that you do for that, don't believe it merely because it's been said. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. God has given us grace to steward. And you see, we are called to steward the very grace of God. And that stewardship begins the moment that you and I receive the gift of salvation. God's grace is poured out on us in a supernatural way. And so this series began last week with us understanding this, for us to truly steward God's grace before we talk about time, before we talk about talent, before we talk about treasures and resources, uh, we have little to do lest we do it with the security and the significance that God provides in salvation. This grace will be stewarded in our lifetime until ultimately uh, we will reach eternity where we will be fully sanctified, dare I say glorified, uh, in the presence of the Lord. Between our salvation, though, and our sanctification, God does give us tangible resources to steward, and those indeed are time. God has given you treasures, finances. You have equity. You have things that you own. You have possessions that God desires for you to put to use for him. And indeed this, God has given us time, talent, treasures. God has given us time. Say time. What is your perspective on time? 
How do you view time? It seems like a rather odd question until I googled this week perspective on time. I started to read articles and start studying about how people view time. And I've actually been studying this for quite some time, but I was uniquely dug into it this week. And I dug in it to the point until my head started to hurt. And if I could kind of condense all that I uh, began to gather and all that I gathered this past week and put it in kind of a a layman's term uh, kind of a way, there's really three perspectives, generally speaking, concerning time. Your perspective and how you view time is largely uh, due by the culture in which you were raised, by the experiences that you've had in life. The way you view time also, it can change over the course of time, depending on your age, depending on your stage of life. The way you begin to, the way you view time can be uniquely different. And so it begins this way. Most of us are going to be familiar with this. Most of us have a forward perspective regarding time. We who live in the West, we as Americans, we are very linear in our thinking. Time comes at us one second at a time. We order our time is to be ordered. Time is to be um, looked at as one thing at a time. We would be considered, uh, we look at time as monochromatic. Forward thinking all of the time. And then there are others uh, who would view time in the present. Those who view time in the present, they take not a monochromatic view of time, but a multifaceted view of time. And rather, while the forward-thinking person says, come on, one thing at a time, let me get to the next thing on my schedule, I got to have this thing at 9 o'clock, the multifaceted person is less driven by the course of time and more driven by what occurs in that time. The forward-thinking person needs to accomplish one thing at a time, and the multifaceted person prides themselves in accomplishing as many things as they possibly can in that time. And so the goal of the time is more important than the time itself. The person with whom they're present with is more important than the time itself. Certain cultures, for example, are those who are forward-thinking. One culture would say the bus leaves at 9 o'clock, and if there's four people on the bus, that's what time it leaves because our time is precious, and we don't want to waste those four people's time, right? Come on. <laughs> Somebody gave me an amen. Do I have one in Myerstown? Come on. Well, see, the, for those who are forward-thinking, that makes complete sense, but to the present-thinking person, what do they do? This bus could leave two hours late. Why? Because this bus is going to leave when the bus is full. And the way that their mind works is this. It's very, very simple. The bus is going to leave when it's full, and to them that is very efficient. They're not driven by time. They're driven by, in their mind, the efficiency is, why would the bus leave with four people on it? It might as well leave when it's full because the feet just voted, and when the most people wanted to leave is the time that the bus left because that was the time the bus was full. You see it? All of a sudden, they don't seem so silly anymore, do they? There's forward thinking, there's present thinking, and then um, there's past thinking. There's a past orientation. And for the past-oriented person, um, time is more cyclical for them. And you'll find some cultures especially that um, while we see the future coming at us from the front, there are cultures who... Um, really would be perceived as a wisdom culture per se. More ancient cultures see future coming at them from the back. 
Because the past is what's tangible. The past is what's known. The past is what we know for sure. But we can't know the future. Therefore, our decisions in the present need to be made in light of the past. You see the difference? The forward-thinking person is making decisions today because we got to be prepared for tomorrow. The past-thinking person is saying, look, this is what we honor. This is what we cherish. This is what has occurred before. Therefore, we're going to make decisions in light of that. And the present person is saying this. The present time is to be in invested for the present. The presence to be invested for the future. The presence to be invested in honor of the past. Time. Whether you see it as monochromatic and linear, whether you see it as multifaceted today, whether you see it as cyclical, The one thing we can all agree upon is this, is the time is precious. One thing that we can agree upon is this, the time is incredibly short. And I just, I kind of wonder, uh, maybe if you're wondering what is my perspective on this, uh, maybe a good way to test yourself would be this. Um, how many of you would like an extra hour in a day? Come on, somebody would like an extra hour, anybody in this room, if I could volley up an extra hour in a day, you would catch it right now. What would you do with the hour? Would you... Use it to achieve a goal? Get something else done? Get a little more work done? Would you, would you spend it relating or maybe enjoying life, another experience that you would be able to enjoy in the moment? Or, or would you take some time to reflect? Would you take some time to look back and maybe you would rest and maybe you would appreciate the things that the Lord has given you? What is your perspective on time? Regardless of our orientation, the truth is we all have 24 hours in a day. We all have 1,440 minutes. We have 86,400 seconds in a day. That's going to equate to 31,536,000 seconds that you are called to steward in a year. Come on, you want to freak yourself out? I did this this past week. I'm, I'm roughly uh, approximately 40 years old. The secret's out. He's like, really? I didn't peg him over 28. <laughs> 40 years old. That means I've been alive for roughly 14,600 days, 350,000 hours, 21,024,000 minutes, 1,261,440 thousand one just under 1.3 billion seconds i've been alive and i'm not getting one of those seconds back and if i live another 40 years i've got 1.3 billion seconds to steward between now until i take my last breath and that sounds like a lot until i realize 1.3 billion have already passed i'm not getting one of them back and i but I think we all would agree that as we look back over our lives, there are certain moments that we would love to live again. I try to make it a regular occurrence to look at my wife and say, I would so marry you again today. I would so love to go back and relive our wedding day. I think about the, the birth of my children. Maybe you can relate to this. I think about the adoption days of my sons and I think about what precious days they were now. If we could, we would go back and relive those days. Um, 
Facebook is the bane of many of our existence, but there are some redeeming qualities to Facebook. This, this came up this past week on my Facebook page, right? Memories. Memories. Two years ago, two years ago to think, August 7th, we just celebrated his birthday. Two years ago, my wife was laying in that hospital bed kissing this little man on the forehead, and last night he just wouldn't sleep, right? It felt like two years ago. And oh, how it felt like yesterday. But then in some ways, are you with me on this? It felt like forever ago. Time. Today I'd like to propose, friends, that God desires that we steward time well. And I believe that stewarding God's grace while it begins with finding our civic significance and security and salvation for sure, I believe next on, next on the marker, next on the docket is this. We have got to embrace and come to the reality that time is short. We're not going to live forever. You're not promised tomorrow. James 4.14 says this, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are merely a mist, the Bible says, that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Time is short. Come on, 27, verse 1 of Proverbs. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what tomorrow will bring. And yet I presume, and yet I presume, tonight I'll go to bed and I'll presume upon tomorrow again. As we jump into this text again, this is Peter's point. Time is short. And so he's writing, if, let me remind you, to a persecuted church. The depth of the persecution is really contingent upon the dating of the letter, but we know a persecution is rising, persecution is looming, and very, very soon it will be too hot to bear. Peter will soon be martyred. Rome will be burned. It will be blamed on the believers. And, and Peter's preparing their hearts for this by God's divine grace. He's writing to point out, listen, while it may be difficult to see, God's grace is right before you. Come on, grab it, steward it for his purposes. He's teaching them this. Here's how we steward God's grace before it's too late. And so are you ready this morning to see what God's word has to say regarding time? If you are, time is short, so say, let's do it. I'm with you. First Peter chapter 4, we're going to read verses 1 through 11, so we have the full context today will be in verses 7 and 8. Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time is past suffice for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties and lawless idolatry. Peter's saying you've been able to steward your life one way for a real long time, and that time is now over. With respect to this, they are surprised, the world is, when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. But this is why the gospel was preached even to those who were dead, that Though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Now verse 7, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore be self-controlled. Be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. 
Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to him belong. To him belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. We left off in verse 6 last week, and so now verse 7 again. Hear it. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Knowing our seconds are short should motivate us to steward our lives in light of God's grace. We find that this should motivate us in this text in three ways. Here's the first one. When we believe that our seconds are short, we will be motivated to long delightfully for the Lord. When we recognize that time is short, we will long delightfully for the Lord. The end of all things is at hand. He calls us to live a certain way. Why? For, for the sake of our prayers, for the sake of being in the presence of God. Come on, steward your life well. And on the first half of the verse, he says this, the end of all things is at hand. Yo. That's a little intense. I feel a little dramatic to you. Like, what is Peter getting out here? The end of all things is at hand. Like, is he talking about some, like, complete annihilation? Like, all of a sudden, this chronological time that we believe in, all of a sudden, is just going to cease. Everything's going to stop. There's going to be nothing. Is that what he's saying? The word end here, telos, within the New Testament, it's not really used, it's, not, it's never used, actually, as speaking in regards to the end of a, of a chronological end or the end of a full time as a complete hard stop. Rather, telos is used throughout the New Testament over and over and over again, speaking of a culmination. The culmination is at hand. The end of this age is going to kind of enter in the culmination of a new age is coming. Jesus has promised that he's going to return. That plan is about to be fulfilled. His promise that he's going to come back, that he's going to dwell, that he's going to take his church to be with him, it's coming. He's making it clear that no major event has to take place before Jesus comes back. The next major event on God's divine timeline is the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, what Peter is pointing out here is this. Yes, suffering, yes, death is a real reason why we should regard time as short. But even if you're healthy today, tomorrow might come because Jesus could come back. Let that sit. Even if you're healthy, even if you're well, that one for whom you've been crying out to the Lord for, right? That relationship that you're still wishing to mend. Don't measure time merely regarding 
uh, your physical state for even if you're healthy, tomorrow could end in tragedy, but tomorrow could also end in triumph. Either way, time is short. And the Bible's saying this. It makes it abundantly clear. It's the next thing in God's divine timeline to happen, but nobody knows the time it's going to happen. Peter and his, and the church of the first century, you can tell in the text, you can, you can see it, it's palpable. They believed that Jesus was going to return in their lifetime. They knew it was possible that Jesus was going to return in their lifetime. But listen, nobody knows the time. Mark 13, 32 says, but concerning the day or that hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Listen, nobody knows the time, but the Bible's clear that it could be any time. You catch that? Nobody knows the time, but the Bible's clear that it could be any time. How's it going to happen? The biblical word is imminent. It's described this way in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2. For you yourselves are fully aware, church, that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. It'll be fast. It'll be quick. It'll come. Titus 2.13, because of that, we ought to be waiting for our blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter believed that Jesus could return in his lifetime, and so should we. This is so branded on my heart. This is so branded in my mind because um, while I administered CPR to my grandfather and his life was lost in that moment, even as that moment occurred, the words of my grandfather rang in my ears then and they ring in my ears now. They, you've heard it said that we all die. Every time somebody would say that, I can remember being in church, I can remember being amongst neighbors, I can remember many, many times he would always say this, not necessary. We're all going to die. He would say, not necessary. Jesus could return. We could be the generation that meets Jesus face to face. Do you believe that, church? Do you believe that? If you believe that, you're going to recognize that time is short. God has called us according to his purpose. But you might be sitting here being like, yeah, but I mean, it was 2,000 years ago when this was even written and so much time has passed. Why in the world hasn't he come? Why would you be standing up there with the audacity to tell me that I ought to be waiting with the same posture that they waited with in the first century after all this time has passed? Come on, pastor. Why hasn't Jesus come back? That is such a good question. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9 tells us. No one knows the time, but it could be any time. What's happening in between? But do not overlook this one fact, beloved. That the Lord one, to the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises as some count slowness. But look, our God is patient toward you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Why has God not come back? Why has Jesus Christ not rent the heavens? Because he's patient. 
because he's patient. And this text says he longs for all men to come. And so what is Jesus waiting for? He's patiently and graciously waiting for those whom he's called to repent and come to him. How long has God waited? Well, you see, to God, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. To us, that seems like a really long time. As long as it takes for this snap to reach your ears is a longer time than has passed to the Lord in regards to the breadth of the waiting. God doesn't view time the way we view time. God doesn't view time the way we view time. Praise God that he's not like us. He exists outside of time, the Bible says. He has no beginning and he has no end. And it seems that this eternality of God, this is the doctrine of the eternality of God, that he rests outside of time. He neither needs to be future-oriented nor present-oriented nor past-oriented for he supersedes and is over all of our orientations. Our God is above and beyond time. And what he has done is he has sown eternity in the hearts of every one of us. He has sown a longing for a time when there will be no time. He's sown into each and every one of our hearts this longing that can only be filled by the presence of God himself. Do you feel a longing in your heart this morning? Ecclesiastes 3, verse 11 says this, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. There it is. Yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Listen, friends, you were created to long for eternity. You were created to long for Jesus' return. Oh, don't quench. Don't squelch this longing that exists inside of you. Jesus is going to come back. All the wrongs in your life, they're going to be made right. He created us to long for a time when there is no time, but he's also called us then to see that others who are longing like we are would find the fulfillment that we have found in Christ. That's the mission. What are you doing with your time? Even as these seconds pass, are you longing to be in the presence of our God? One day the longing will be fully fulfilled, but now only in part is it fulfilled. Because we live in linear time, we come to God and we seek to worship him and be in his presence and oh how we long for moments when our hands are lifted high and when our hearts are knit into this book because it's reminding us, it, it brings us into the presence of the eternal one. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says, for we now see in a mirror dimly. We see the shadow of the almighty right now. We long for his full presence, but listen, one day face to face we'll see him. 
because now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Are you longing for that day? When you're lifting your hands in worship as you did this morning, are you saying, God, I'm longing for the day when I can do this in your actual presence? God, I'm coming to your word today, longing for the time when we won't need to open a book for the Logos. The word of God will be standing right before us. Oh God, how I long for the day and how I'm come to you in prayer. But there will be a day when the distance between my voice and your ear won't seem so far. We'll look at time differently. We'll steward our lives differently. What stands between this partial looking into this mirror dimly now and what we'll one day see face to face in the presence of God? What is in between? God's still given us his presence. God has given us his spiritual presence. Friends, write this down. His presence is within you. As we steward our time, we should be stewarding it so we can practice the presence of the Almighty in our lives. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. The presence of God dwells in his word. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. You want to come into the presence of God, you come into his word. The presence of God also He's present in our fellowship and in our worship. Psalm 22:3. He inhabits and he enthrones the praises of his people. And according to verse 12, God's presence is in. We come into God's presence through prayer. Look at the text. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. How do we steward our time on earth? We're to set our perspective and we're to arrange our time so that the Lord can have from us uninterrupted, focused fellowship with him. Be sober-minded, be self-controlled. Why? For the sake of your prayers. When you think about stewarding your life, when you think about managing your time, is what's the focus for your time management? What's at the center of it? What are you trying to accomplish? It leads us to our second point. You see, if we believe the time is short, we will indeed long delightfully for the presence of the Lord. But when we realize he's coming, here's the deal. We will live deliberately for the Lord. We will live deliberately for the Lord, for the sake of our prayers, for the fellowship of the Father. Again, I ask you this. Why do you steward your time? If you are stewarding it well, what's motivating you? And if you are stewarding it poorly, what would motivate you to steward it better? Is it the accomplishing of goals? Are you trying to reach some kind of success in life? Are you trying to get the next business deal? Are you, are you trying to just kind of arrange your life so you could get more downtime or so you can play more Fortnite? I, mean, I don't know. What is it? This text is being abundantly clear in saying this. At the center of faithful stewardship of time is Jesus what motivates me about forgetting my time right? 
is that I'm trying to order my day so that I can have unique, uninterrupted fellowship with my God. And that each of the things that are on my schedule will be on there so that I can fulfill God's will with my day. We're to prioritize our time for Jesus so we can be in his presence and fulfill his purposes. Uninterrupted time, but then complete focused time where you are being busy about your day, fulfilling what he has for you to fulfill. Both things are essential in the management of your time. That's why the scriptures say, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And then all of these things will be added unto you. How do we steward our time this way so that God can be at the center? Peter gives us two words. The first word is this, self-controlled. So phaneo, it means to be serious. It means to be tempered. It means to be of sound mind. It means to be of discipline. It means, it means not to be wild. It means not to be impulsive. It means not to be out of control. The opposite word in all of this would be mania. You see, when the clock is ticking and time is short, what ends up happening in my mind is it starts to race a little bit. How about you? You start to get a little bit anxious, like I'm running out of time, and this has to get done, and it's never going to get done. And, and so a little bit of, dare I say, a little bit of mania or hyperactivity begins to kind of arise up in my soul. You see, the goal is to steward our lives in such a way where we have this perspective. God is in control of time. And God has given me every second that I need to fulfill his purpose. Psalm 31, verse 15 says, my times are in your hands. My time is in your hands, God. My time is in your hands. Hear me clearly. If a moment feels wasted, if a moment feels wasted, it is not lost. If a moment feels wasted in your life, it is not lost upon the Lord, for he will fulfill all things according to his purpose and in his time. Even you can't screw up bad enough to not fulfill the workings that the Lord has for you. But at the same time, our motivation needs to be to keep Christ at the center of all of the seconds of our life. You got it? So to do this in a sports illustration, which I try to stay away from because it doesn't hit everybody the same way. As the game clock is winding down, it's no time for Hail Marys and half-court shots. When time is winding down, that is no time to just kind of let one rip toward the end zone and hope something happens. When time is winding down and it feels short and it's pressing in, it's no time to get hyper. Rather, it's time to center yourself on the Lord and say what God desires to be accomplished in this moment will be accomplished. Nothing, none of my worry, none of my anxiety, none of my angst is going to change anything that's going to happen when this deadline falls upon me. Therefore, i got to trust God. Somebody, come on. Now, if you've mismanaged your time, you bear the consequence. But then you realize all things are working and I'm learning and I make the proper adjustment next time. But God has all of 
time. God's given you every second you need to fulfill his purpose. Even if a second feels wasted, it is not lost on God. One commentary said this, knowing the end is coming should not put us into an eschatological frenzy. We should not be flailing about trying to figure it all out. Or on the flip side, we should not be living it up while we still got some seconds. Rather, the word speaks of responsibility, discipline, and purpose. Psalm 90, come on, Lord, teach us to number our days. Teach us to number our days. And so practically, how does it work? How does this work? Let's say that this colander here and this blue line represents one day of my life. We're not going to try to steward an entire week. I'm just looking at today. And we're going to allow these stones uh, to represent the priorities that God has given us in life. These small gravel stones, this represents all the necessary things that I need to do in my day. I've got to brush my teeth. My wife told me so. Right? I've got to transition between appointments. I've got to move. I've got to breathe. There's things I have to do. They're necessary in a given day. This water is going to represent the urgent. It's the things I didn't see coming. It's the things that are a surprise. Uh, my son falls off of his bike, and my entire schedule just got interrupted because we're heading to the wherever we go when you fall off the bike place. Right? So the question is, uh, how do we go about ordering our day? Because we know all three of these things are coming at us, or at least they ought to be. And you see, many of us, we don't think a lot about this. We know these things are important, but we're like, hey, every day, <laughs> don't worry about tomorrow. Every day has trouble of its own. So you just embrace the whole, I got the trouble glass by the tail. There's no chance in putting a schedule together anyway because urgent things happen, stuff happens, what's the point? And so um, the problem is if you just fill your day just being led by the urgent, there's still necessary things that are going to happen, and then when the necessary things come, it's going to all splash out and make a mess. And then what's really going to happen at that point is there's not going to be room in that day to really put the principles and the priorities of God in that he's called you to be about and to put first in your life. So this is such a simple illustration. You may have seen this before, but the, the work is very simple. When you go about every given day, the priority is to live by God's priorities. And so the first thing you would do, and if you had a day planner, I'm not prescribing this, just so you can see it. We would say, listen, God has called us to be in relationship with him. And so my day is going to begin with time with the Lord. And that, might be, that could be at the beginning of your day, the end of your day. And really, frankly, if it could be both, come on. If it's not on your schedule and you don't set your alarm, it's probably not going to happen. You see, God has called us to the priority of family in our life. And so some of you are going to think this is an interesting thing, but I honestly think that family uh, should be on your schedule. Because if it's not on your schedule, it gets what's remaining on your schedule. And a lot of days, you know how much that is? 
And so for me, like, I, I try to work really hard to have some personal time where I go and I exercise and I kind of get burn off some energy and then I try to get home in a way where even if it's a half hour of time, I'm seeing, I'm seeing the boys and I'm seeing Robin before I come into the office and, and kind of come about my day. But that's, that's a block of time that's in there and I'm just asking those who help me with my schedule, please kind of protect this time. Because I have a lot of evening appointments. I need this time. But when there is an evening spot, come on, fill it right now. I want family to go right in there. This is one day. Your week's going to look different from day to day. But this is an example of one day. Right? God has called us. God has called us also. God has called you to work. First Thessalonians, you can read it for yourself. God's word does have a lot to say about work. If you read throughout the Proverbs and we talk about stewardship, work is like number one uno on the list of what he calls us to do so that you can be able to have something to steward for him, work. And so we all know that that's a major part of our day for sure. God's called us to himself. He's called us to prioritize our family. He's called us to work. And I would just say this, God's called us to ministry. And I'm of the opinion that this, can, this, this overlaps all of the appointments of my day. Is that fair? He's called us to uh, do the work of ministry and all that we do. But I also feel like if you want to really practice the one another's, if you really do want to love each other and serve each other, it probably is important to actually think about when you're going to do that. And then this one. Some of you need to hear this today, that God has given you the principle and a, the priority of rest. The beginning of your day is going to begin as you're coming out of rest, and the end of your day is going to end when rest is needed. God has called you to rest. There's so much more we're going to say about that this morning, but some of you need to hear this. God has given you priorities. And once these priorities are established in your day, then listen, let the necessary things. The necessary things, let them find their way. Seek first the kingdom of God and then let the necessary things fall in. And listen, urgent things are coming and urgent things are going to saturate your day for sure. The illustration here is not that you can always fit more into your day. The illustration here is you've got to make sure the large rocks, the large principles go in first so that the necessary things and so that the urgent will have margin. I want you to notice that this does not go all the way to the blue line. If your schedule is going all the way to the blue line, you are way, way past where you ought to be. If you're scheduled on the priorities to the blue line and then the necessary things are sending you over the blue line, when the urgent comes, you'll be making an appointment. God has called us to live self-controlled, disciplined lives. Why? Because at the center principle is God himself. At the center principle is doing what God has called you to do. And that, my friends, that's what it looks like to live deliberately for the Lord. He says, be self-controlled. But here's the second word he uses. Also, be sober-minded. 
Nepho in the Greek, it means this, to be alert. It means to be on guard, to be in tune, to be clear-headed. The opposite, the opposite would be scattered, confused, dull. Somebody elbowing somebody yet? The opposite would be scattered, confused, dull, or maybe appearing as if they're intoxicated. Listen, I think what the Lord is saying, and I think what it's safe to say is, we are to live self-controlled and disciplined lives for the sake of our prayers, for the sake of fellowship with God. Therefore, God is calling us to come to him rested, ready, clear-minded, and you should be ordering, we should be ordering our lives for time when I can come into God's presence rested and ready to hear from him. You wonder why you're tired, and we wonder why why we're weary, and then we don't make the time to come to the one who can. You're trying to calm the storm in your life by steering harder when you need to be coming to the one who can calm the storm. This sounds a lot like Sabbath, doesn't it? The Bible talks about the principle of Sabbath. The law, the law also required Sabbath in the Old Testament. As it pertains to the make law of Sabbath, what God commanded the people of Israel was that they would put one day aside. One day a week, they would put aside and they would put it aside as a foreshadowing of a permanent rest that was to come, of a fulfillment of a peace that they would, they would arrive to. But in the meantime, they would, they would Sabbath to trust God and to put their focus on him and to worship him with an entire day. Now hear me clearly on this. Good theology does make it clear that as a matter of Mosaic law, the Sabbath has been fulfilled in Christ. The legal requirement of the Sabbath as it pertains to achievement of righteousness has been fulfilled in Christ Jesus. Come on, keep your thinking caps on with me. Hebrews 4, 9 says this. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Like, well, it says Sabbath right there, Pastor. Yes, Jesus Christ has fulfilled the law. The literal law has been fulfilled and now what the Lord has provided us is a spiritual, an eternal Sabbath that is ever present and there for us to glory in. We now have a fuller spiritual Sabbath than they once had in the days of old. But the biblical principle, as the Mosaic law, it's been fulfilled, but as a biblical principle, the principle of Sabbath is all throughout the scriptures. The principle of rest, the admonition to rest, I believe, is everywhere. God has called you to rest. He's called you to work, but he's called you to rest. And I believe we are to rest in him. That's the Hebrews 4 text that I just read. But we're also to rest, come on, follow this, like him. Our God does not slumber and he does not sleep. Please don't mishear me. But what God did for us is give us an example. And what he's shown us is he has woven a cycle of living within the fabric of creation. And God modeled for us the rhythm of life when he created the earth. 
For the Genesis 1 account tells us there was morning, there was evening, and there was night rest. Day one. There was morning and there was evening. Day two, rest. There was morning and there was evening. Day three, rest. There was morning and there was evening. Day four, rest. There was morning and there was evening. Day five, rest. There was morning and there was evening. Day six, rest. There was morning and there was evening. And there was an entire day of rest. Our God rested to model for us this principle. Listen, he modeled for us his grace. Sabbath is not a yoke to be hoisted upon you. It's a grace that God has afforded you because you need it. Listen, you will rest. You'll either fall over if you begin to fight against the cycle in which God created you to live you will eventually rest. And you'll feel it. Why am I on this? Why is this so important? Ultimately, biblical rest is a demonstration of faith. Ultimately, at the end of the day, biblical rest is a demonstration of faith. It's a demonstration of trust in God. At night when I lay myself down, at night when I lay myself down, What am I saying? I'm completely vulnerable. My eyes are shut. There's no protection of myself. And I'm trusting the Lord to keep me safe. That he would be the one that would wake me tomorrow. I'm saying to God, I can't, I can't, I can't in my own strength. I need your rest this night. Please, God, Lord God, give it to me. When I put aside a block of time, if if we're able to Sabbath for an entire day, what are we saying to the Lord? We're saying to the Lord God, I, it is not about me. It's not about what I can accomplish. It's not about what I can do. Lord God, I am putting this side a day because I'm trusting that, I, that what will be accomplished in my life is exactly what you needed me to accomplish in the six days that you graciously blessed me with. The Sabbath law has been fulfilled, but the principle of trusting God and finding its fulfillment in this unbelievably gracious thing called rest? Come on, who wants to fight that? Yeah, but pastor, I got things to do, and I have children to take, and I've got work that I'm trying to, I know. Me too. And so Monday's for me. And so it's Monday's for me. And I heard this principle, and you have the liberty to wrestle with it yourself. I heard it once said, because the Sabbath law has been fulfilled, that I believe that there's liberty now in the ways that we Sabbath. And so my Monday, I labor with my mind all week. I sit in a chair and I'm studying and I'm preparing and I'm leading meetings and my mind, my mind, my mind, my mind. Anybody's mind hurt? You see, I labor with my mind and so on my Mondays, I I Sabbath with my body. I Sabbath with my body because it allows my mind to rest and I'm mowing the grass, and I'm doing things around the house, and I'm just spending time with the Lord. I'm thinking about God, and I'm, I'm, I'm reflecting on our Sunday, and what the Lord did is maybe doing in your lives today, and praying that his word would be kind of placed upon your heart. Sabbath, rest, God has called you to rest. Rest is a matter of trust. Listen, God calls us to work. 
make no mistake, God calls us to work. Check out this verse. This verse is phenomenal. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. God's creation works. God's creation labors. God's creation lives each day with a purpose. God's creation knows that it needs to work and provide. But the ant who is guided by the Lord is going to store up that which is needed. And so will we. God has called us to labor. God has called us to work. But hear me, friends. God's called you to rest. God is calling some of you, all of you, to rest. But as the worship team comes now and we save point three for next week, I want to point this out. When we believe that seconds are short, we will long for the Lord. When we believe no rustling, we'll give you plenty of time to close your Bibles in just a moment. Because that's just a perfect illustration of how we miss that time is short and how we are living in linear time. And because the clock says one thing, the time is over, and so now we move on. God is above time. God longs, God longs to meet with you in this time. God longs for you to have. God longs for your full attention. That's what this message has been about. Not about what's next. Not about what's for lunch. Like, not about what's waiting for you tomorrow when you get to work. Do you have a time that you're willing to put all other things aside so you can be fully focused on the Lord? Are you longing? Are you longing? Are you longing delightfully to be in the presence of God? Friends, are you living your life deliberately, 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 we are so chained, we are so captured by the linear clock, by the seconds that are ticking. But because the seconds are ticking is a reminder that we just need to calm ourselves and come into the presence of God. He's going to give you all the seconds that you need to get done what you need to get done. But if there's an anxiousness that comes upon you as it pertains to time, there's a hurriedness that comes upon you as it pertains to time I believe that some of us in this room God desires to meet you right where you are he wants to redeem you and free you from the yoke of the clock the yoke of time from the yoke of anxiety some of you need to place your trust in the one who is over time Time is in his hands. Your time is in his hands. Oh, Lord God, would you teach us to number our days? Oh, God, would you help us to trust in you for our rest? 
Father, I pray over this room. God, I pray that you would calm us. That you would center us on this reality that the time is short and that the end is near. You're going to return and the one thing you've called us to between now and then is to delight in your presence and to fulfill your purposes. God, help us to order our days. Help us to live in a way that demonstrates faith and trust. But oh Lord God, for that one in this room who needs to trust you, who needs to put their confidence and their strength in you. They're longing for eternity, as your scripture says. They're longing for a time when there is no pressure of time. Oh God, would you please draw them to yourself today? Lord, would you please, by the power of your Holy Spirit, give them the gift of salvation that they may taste of eternity, that they may taste of your grace, Lord God, that they would be able to live now, fill their heart with the fulfillment that will one day be law, be fulfilled ultimately in your presence. And oh God, show them the purpose that you have for them to live their lives each day. God, I pray that right now, those of us who know you as Savior, we would cherish and we would thank you, God, for your grace to us, for the time that you've given us. For those who aren't sure where they would spend eternity, God, I pray that they would put their faith and trust in you today. They would repent of their sins and they would receive your forgiveness, that they would be able to live a life on purpose. Father, there's coming a day when it will be too late and an attempt towards you will be too little. So Lord God, help us to steward your grace now so that in the end we would have no regrets. We thank you, God. Father, we pray now in these final moments that we'd be able to turn our eyes completely on you. Help us in this way, Lord God, I pray in Jesus' name.